So funny, because uh, one of the things you and I prayed for in our meeting together was the fact that we were both a little tired today. <laughs> I guess the Spirit just changing that, huh? <laughs> amen, amen. We're going back to a place we haven't been for a long time. Uh, I don't know if you, if you all were here. Um, if you remember that the, one time I started a series with a bridge that I had built out of old wood up front here. And it's the series on the book of Romans. And uh, the bridge uh, was a pulpit at the top, but it represented the fact that the entrance uh, to the book of Romans is about our sin and about what, um, what to, to get honestly, honestly looking at who we are outside of Christ and the sin that is our nature. And then the top part where the pulpit is is about Christ and what he did for us and how he came to save us. It's all about salvation. So sin, salvation, and then the exit off the bridge is sanctification or service in which our lives in Christ Jesus become this act of service because now we have been bought um, and purchased with a gift, the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are no longer our own, but we're his. Now, you guys get that whole story. But the Jewish people back in, in Paul's day didn't. They didn't have that whole picture. It happened in front of them, but they couldn't see it. They, could, they had put their hope in something other than the Messiah that they were waiting for. And so the first eight chapters of Romans, Paul is building this whole case about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how important that is. And the Jewish people said, no, 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 no. It's because we go to church on Sunday. It's because I got a bumper sticker. It's because I've got all the right things and articles around me that make me to be a Christian. And what about the change? I did not know that Ryan was going to sing a song, but that is so appropriate. How many of us are depending on the exterior things that we do to somehow be our entrance into heaven instead of Jesus Christ? Instead of Jesus Christ. And so Romans 9 is this huge change in this huge thing where where, um, um, where Paul is sensing the uh, questioning, opposing Hebrew mind. And he's understanding something that the Hebrews are saying, and that is, that is, if it isn't about all this other stuff, then it must be that God is rejecting us. This God you're trying to teach us is rejecting us because we've done all this stuff, We've been good people. And if what you're saying is, is true, then he must be rejecting us. Huh. If we had a moment in of honesty in the church, I wonder if you have ever experienced your heart saying, I think God's rejecting me. I'm going to try so hard. I try so hard, and yet I, see, I feel so far away. Is it that God is rejecting me? It really is foundational to rebellion against God. 
It really is. And, uh, and so Paul, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, is going to emphatically say, no. He's not rejected his chosen people. He's not rejecting you. In fact, it is the gospel foundationally that shows you he hasn't rejected you, that he loves you, and that he has a plan for you. And so if you'd open up your Bibles to, uh, to Romans, the ninth chapter, if you do not have a Bible, uh, did we pass them around already? If you, yes, uh, then we don't need to again. Um, Romans 9. If you're not familiar with the Bible, look at the front con- uh, uh, table of contents and it will sh- it'll tell you that. It's in the New Testament and uh, it will give you the page number, but go with me uh, to Romans, the ninth chapter, which will be a large number on the page, and to uh, the beginning of that chapter. I, I said to uh, Ryan, <laughs> I said, I'm going to preach the whole chapter today. You know what he did? He looked at me and said, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. So what I've decided is we're here all day. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, some of you are like, that ain't happening. (laughs) No, but it just, you know, it's, uh, yes, I I just, I'm I'm excited about this. as, as we look at so I want to read the first five verses. Let's pray because if I'm going to preach the whole chapter to you and you're going to, you're going to allow your heart to be open to the full, a full chapter of the Word of God, then we need the Spirit to lead us, me to not talk as long, and you to listen really long. Get it? Can we do that? I'll try to keep it short if you'll keep it long. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that's true. Thank you that, that you do love us and that even in the midst of the condemnation of the judge, you are the defender of our souls. That's a mystery that none of us can, can um, understand fully, but it is the very foundation and the movement of our souls because we're really good at condemning others and ourselves. We're not really good at receiving the non-condemnation that is in Christ Jesus and allowing that to be the foundation and the strength and the direction for our lives. So, Lord, we open ourselves up to your word. Let us hear it. Let us understand the Hebrew mind. Let us understand our own mind. Let us move in such a way that, Father, we see the beauty of who you really are. And may it move our hearts to follow you more closely. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, as I said, he's been preaching uh, for the first, um, uh, really the first seven chapters. uh, And then he comes to the eighth chapter and just really hits the whole thing about the fact that there is um, no condemnation of those who in Christ Jesus, that if Christ Jesus is the one who died for us, then there is nobody that will judge us and condemn us. And, and, and so, but the Jewish mind is looking at Paul and saying he's a heretic. He has just undermined everything that we've done in our life that have convinced us that we are chosen by God, that we're his special chosen people, and that um, 
uh, and that he has been leading us. They were horizontally motivated. They held on to the law given by Moses, a means of salvation. But Paul said no one is saved by the law. They had held on to the ancestral connection to Abraham and the outward rite of circumcision. But Paul said that before Abraham was circumcised, he believed God, and it was a credit to him. It is not in uh, that connection. And they held on to their sacrifices and good works. And Paul said that the law actually came and killed any good that I think I could do myself and reveal sin. They were horizontally motivated. Horizontally motivation is living your religion out for the outward appearance with full knowledge that inward you are not living right with God. It is driven by a self-centered motivation that creates outer semblance of peace but does nothing to bring peace to the soul. It is the form of godliness but denying its power. Their confidence was built on two things. First, their generational connection to Abraham and their works righteousness based on their religious acts. And so, as I said, Paul undermined this. It's interesting that horizontal um, vision or motivation um, justifies sin instead of calling it out. And you have to understand, the very Messiah they were waiting for was in front of their face. And because they were horizontally living their life, horizontally motivated, they never saw him. They never saw him. I... um. I was watching a Christmas program. I don't know if I've t- said this or not. I was watching online a Christmas program, and uh, did I say this about a great violin player? I don't, I don't know if I did or not. Anyways, so in New York, in the subway, um, there was a violinist came, and he started playing in the subway um, um, music, Christmas music, Christmas song. I think it was Silent Night. And people were rushing by, rushing by, and um, just absolutely, uh, some of them stopped to listen to it because it was pretty, but most of them just kept moving because you know what, right? We got agendas, right? We got things we got to do. We got, right? We, we all know this. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all are busy. So anyways, so they were going by, going by. And uh, he completed the song, he put his violin back in the case, and he walked away. They didn't realize that the night before that, he had just put on a concert where people averaged paying $200 a seat to listen to him. He was an accomplished violinist, worldwide renowned, but they did not know him. And they didn't recognize the presence that was in that Subway, do you recognize the presence of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you recognize it? The Jews missed it. The Jews missed it. 
And they justified their sin instead of facing it. The Holy Spirit of God, vertical, this is the definition of vertical motivation. The Holy Spirit of God moves a human heart to live a life in the holiness of God. And most of the time, it's an opposition to the culture. Most of the time. Just like God, just like people act surprised when someone calls them to live vertically for God over horizontally for themselves, so the Jews were offended by Paul and his teachings. The unbelieving Jew would have believed that God had rejected them. Why does the surprise of the call to live with vertical motivation over horizontal motivation immediately feel like rejection? Why do people so quickly become offended? And I've had many. I've had many. Sue and I have had the privilege of working with, uh, with couples, married couples, and, uh, and those who are not married yet. And so we will bring them through marriage counseling. And it, it amazes me how quickly sometimes a couple will be absolutely offended by the words you say to them about, about being living vertically with the Lord, motivated from your relationship with Him. And we have had couples walk out on us because they were offended. Now, why is this? Because when you live horizontally motivated, and you all know this, you build kind of a comfort zone for your life, kind of the normalcy of your everyday living. And what, what happens with the gospel is it goes into that comfortableness and it starts scraping against it and saying, this isn't the way that I want you to live. And you're offended because you've worked really hard to kind of build normalcy in a world that's not normal. Let's be honest with ourselves. We do it for comfort. We do it so we, we feel like we can have some semblance of control on our life. But it's such a lie. And when, when, when the gospel walks into it and begins to scrape up against it and starts to say, you know what, I'm here to make you uncomfortable, we struggle. That's the reason. Now, I say this to you because some of you have been working very hard to keep your normalcy. You've worked very hard. Even as people who go to church, we can do this. And I'm telling you today, to be vertically motivated in your life, you've got to let the gospel have its way with you. And so Paul, knowing the heart of the Hebrew people, knowing this, listen to what he says in the first five verses of Romans 9. He says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish I could, that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all forever. Be praised. Amen. 
Do you hear the heart of God in that? Do you hear the heart of God um, in that? Three weeks ago, Dave McIntyre preached on living our faith out. Two weeks ago, I preached on what God is calling you to step into in 2024. This is so important. I sense that this year is going to be a year like no other. I have no total inference for that, but I've just already, the Lord has done some things in even soon in my life, which is, he is just almost like he's saying, I'm preparing you. Now be ready. And Paul is reflecting the heart of God to the Jewish people. What is God's motivation to un, to, for the unsettling of the Jewish apple cart? Why is he okay with doing it with us and having us do it even when he allows us in other people's lives? First of all, it's because of what it says in verse 1. He said, I speak the truth in Christ, not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Vertical motivation equals truth over feeling. Ryan and I came this morning feeling tired. But God's truth is greater than our feelings. And in a world where we allow feelings to lead us so many times, we have to understand that it's in the midst of that that God is saying, I'm the truth and I'm coming in. It is the feeling of entitlement that causes people to believe that richer people owe them money. It is the feeling of the loss of true identity that causes a man to feel like a woman. It is the feeling of power that causes a leader to lord their position over others. Feelings are moving our culture and truth, and it was, and it was leading the Israelites. And it is truth that leads. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. When it comes to God, who created us with feelings and has feelings himself, don't forget that. He does. He says truth trumps feelings. And that's not a political statement. He did not say in John 8, if you hold to your feelings, you are really my disciples. They will know that feelings can set you free. He said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And the, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Paul, standing on truth, his confidence was based not only on the movement of the Holy Spirit, but on the Old Testament that confirmed the Messiah had come, confirmed what was going to happen. Paul saw that, he met him, and Paul was um, moved and motivated by that. Second, not just truth, but also the heart of God. It says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Vertical motivation is having the heart of God. This is where feelings do come in. The heart for the lost, especially those chosen by God to be his people, but have turned away. As Paul expresses his heart for the Jewish people, 
we hear the heart of Ezekiel that says this in the sixth chapter, the ninth verse. He says, In the nations where they have been carried captive, those who escaped will remember me. How have I, have I been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me, and by their eyes, which is left, lusted after their idols. They loathe themselves for the evil they have done and for all their detestable practices. God does not. God condemns our sin, but he does not condemn us in our sins. God's heart is grieved that we would allow sin to destroy our lives. And his heart is for you. And if there's somebody feeling stuck here today, just remember the compassionate heart of God loves you and is grieved over your sinful decisions. Don't let them lead. Let him lead. The compassionate heart of God lives in every true believer. That compassion cries out for rebellious people to return to God, to confess and to repent. Third, not only truth, not only the heart of God, but also vertical is the willingness to be cursed so others could be blessed. For I wish, Paul said in verse 3, that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my race. Paul knew that salvation did not come from some kind of his act. It came from God. It's not something to take away. But what he was identifying with was the curse of Jesus Christ. The curse of Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself was willing to be cursed so that you could be blessed, that he was willing to go to the cross for you. And in fact, in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole in Deuteronomy. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Paul's heart, God's heart, was for his chosen people, for lost people. Are you? Is that you? And then finally in these verses, vertical is recognizing the presence of God. Did you notice the, the listing of the nine things that he said? Nine points that Paul reveals the presence of God among his people. First, he named them Israel. If you remember that, that Jacob struggled with God. And then in the, in, in the, in, in the morning, um, Jesus, I believe, said to him, let me go. And he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He says, what's your name? It's Jacob. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel. For Israel is that it strugg means struggled with God and man and has prevailed. The renaming is the presence of God. We're renamed Christian. We have a new name in Christ. Are you living in that? Second, God is the adapter of Israel. Adaption to sonship. It says, Hosea 11.1 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Every one of us who are Christians have that story. We have all been called out of our slavery. Amen? Amen. We need to, we need to call that out more. Remembering your slavery is 
foundational to remembering what he's done for you. Fourth is the covenants. Excuse me, third um, is, the, is that God calls his glory to be seen in Israel. Exodus 16.10 says, while Aaron was speaking, there was the glory of God appearing. It's the Shekinah glory. The glory of God revealed himself to the Israelites. But not only that, when they were in um, captivity in Babylon, the Shekinah glory left the temple and went to where the, where the captives were. Isn't that amazing? That is, God's presence is, is there. The covenants, you know the five covenants of, of, the, of God's word? Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Christ. Five covenants. His covenants were made with his people. Six, the temple service. The fact that he had created the whole system of worship within the Jewish people. Do you know why you're worshiping God today? Because he's created this. He's called you to this. It's not you were smart enough to go to church this morning. It's, it, even from Grant, I don't care. But the fact that God's spirit calls us to worship him, he created this. He created this. He did it for the Israelites. He does it for us. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do you have patriarch in your life? It's interesting. My patriarch is my mother because she was the first one to share the gospel with me. And my dad had gone through the structure of religion, but he had never received Christ until he was 73 years old. You can be in church all your life and never receive Jesus Christ because you believe that you're the one who's drawing you to this place. But if you understand it's the Spirit of God's drawing you here, He's created this so that you could worship Him and He could be in your life, changes everything. And then finally, the Messiah was Jewish. That's the most crazy thing. It's interesting how many people who call themselves Christians reject the Jewish people. They don't realize they're throwing Jesus out with the bathwater. Jesus was a Jew on this earth. You can't forget that. We have to pray for Jerusalem. This attack, providential. God working in our world today, showing us that this is true, and that his Jewish people would come under hatred of the world. I, I, I preached about this a few weeks ago. Hatred under the world, and, and that they would be oppressed why? Because they turned away from him. But secondly, because there is chosen people yet. We don't think about that, that sometimes our own captivity and our own oppression is because he loves you so much he's going to let you stand in the darkness for a while so you can see him. That's a good God. That is a good God. And so the Jewish people were, were horizontally motivated. They looked at all these things as though they were their own instead of the fact that God put them in to their life. Now, there's a great hypocrisy. A great, no, it's another word. There is a great um, move away from the Lord this day. From COVID on, 
There has been a move. I think they said that there's over 30% of people who used to go to church don't go anymore. There is a great move away from God right now. And if you're honest with me, and I'm honest with you, there's times that our own hearts feel that draw to not worship. Am I right? Draw away from. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I'm tired. I got other things to do. And that was that same spirit of horizontal motivation, believing that it's our own self-righteousness, that it's our own, our own decision whether we go to church or not, whether we worship God or not. But vertical motivation begins with the understanding of a spiritual truth that happens in the physical world. God is the orchestrator and the revealer of himself to the world. That if you sit here today in my presence and you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, he's the first cause, he's the seeker, he's the one who came. And that is what Paul was trying to teach his own people. And he was, it tore him to pieces that they didn't get it. And you know what tears me to pieces? When I sit in like a marriage counseling and somebody says, I love Jesus, and yet they're living together in obvious rebellion against God, and when it's called out and asked to repent, they're so offended. What about you? Have you let God offend your normalcy? Have you let God come in to that which you have built as a structure and let him speak to the point that it offends you to the point that you get on your knees and you confess it and repent of it. Now, don't miss this. It is huge. And it can happen to you even if you've gone to church all your life. Are we letting the Spirit of God move and change our lives? So I have a question for you. I want you to go back in your mind. Who was that first person that introduced you to the gospel? Who was the one that God used for the gospel to come into your life and to begin impact your heart? Do you remember? I just told you it was my mom. She shared the gospel with me. How about you? How about a couple of you? Do you remember their names? Yeah? Sweet. Sweet. Thank you, John. Somebody else? Dave. Daniel. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Go ahead. I saw a hand. Amen. Amen. Yeah, go ahead, man. Oh. 
Oh, wait a minute. I got my hand up for not listening, okay? <laughs> I, I've been that person. Yeah. Okay, 33 years old. Yep. People of God, this is so important. Just like, just like Paul was the one who was bringing the gospel to these Jewish people who have thousands of years of heritage with God and yet missed him when he was among them. Missed him. We can't do that. So what helps us? What helps us to, to get this kind of vertical motivation to see that God is the one who is amongst us? God is the one. Go with me. And we're going to do this fairly quickly. Yeah, have to. Um, Verse 6 through 13. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children. God has no grandchildren. But it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise is stated. At the moment, at the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not only works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So they had a question about the power of God's word. If what you're saying is right, Paul, then we have a question. I mean, your word's been among us for all our life. We have a question whether the word of God is powerful enough to change our life. But we have to understand this, that if God is the first move in our life, and that the reason that Greg is hearing God's word in his life is because God is moved in Greg's heart for him to listen, then it is the the actual action of election, the fact that God knew Greg before he was born, not based on anything that Greg would do or could do, but because of his great love and mercy, he called Greg. And the power of the word is the fact that we respond to the call of God on our lives. In the hearing of his word, is your heart responding to him? There's only one reason why it doesn't. is because you're hardened by sin. It's the only reason. So, do not let your heart be hardened. Like the Israelites did in the, in the desert. But respond. Respond now. For it is God. 
See, horizontal motivation basically is built on, well, what do I get out of this? What's in it for me, this whole worship thing of God? And when I get, when I get to the place where, okay, you know, I, I see some benefits, then I'll respond. That is horizontal motivation. Vertical motivation is the fact that you realize it's the heart of God that's speaking to you right now and that he loves you. And that he desires your heart. It's motivated by the fact that it's not about what you get after that. Because he's already given you everything in Christ Jesus. Even if you have nothing and you die with like, you know, with two shoes and two pairs of clothes and nothing else in this world, who cares? You have everything in Christ Jesus. He's enough. That's Vertical motivation. That's where the power of the word of God is in our lives. It's transformative because it takes our perspective off of what can I get and it's what he has already given. And it moves us in ways that is incredible. But you have to have that vertical motivation. You see in 2 Peter 1, 4 it says he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Seriously? We get to participate in the divine nature of God through Jesus Christ. We get to live not motivated by the culture, but live motivated by the Spirit of God to live a life that's completely separate and different from this world. This interesting passage about the fact that Jacob I love and Esau I've, I've, I've hated. God has been accused of this verse by so many critics. As though somehow he picks people because they're better than others. Has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with him knowing your heart before you were born. And he choosing you why i have no answer for that i did not deserve that did you i did not deserve that you know when we work like when mr um uh mr dave goes to work he earns a paycheck if the if napa does not give him a paycheck that's injustice he would get mad and you'll tell him, hey, you owe me a paycheck. But in regards to God, we've never, one instance, one iota, whether we're preachers, whether we're a worship leader, anybody, none of us have deserved the paycheck of eternal life from God. Not one bit. And yet through his amazing love for us, he gives it as a free gift. If the church gets this, you'll be unstoppable. If you knew, if you truly know in your heart that before you were born, God called you, as Paul said it, it became the foundation for him to go into jail and not to, not to fret. He, he was beaten and put in jail and he sang. He was shipwrecked. He was 
beaten five times. Come on, guys. Everybody looks at him as though he's some kind. He is a normal Christian moved by the Holy Spirit out of his normalcy because he knew God called him before the foundations of the earth to do what he was doing. Now listen, he, he knew the word. He was a Pharisee that was above Pharisees. I mean, this dude was putting people under the table with what he knew, and it was not getting him salvation. But when he saw Jesus Christ, it changed him. How long have you been fooling around with this thing called Christianity? How long have you been sitting in this world of trying to have God in your life and contain your own normalcy? It ain't working. He doesn't want... My wife received um, blood results this past week. The doctor made a mistake. He said, I find... Obviously doesn't know her. Because she's abnormal. She's an amazing woman that's on fire for Jesus Christ. And she will look at me. And she, you don't think she preaches? Are you kidding me? I get a sermon every week. And <laughs> this preacher needs it. Come on, I'm waving like you now. <laughs> I just, preacher needs it. And I just, she is, she's my, she, God has put her in my life because he knew exactly what I needed. Do you get this? So the first thing that they challenged was, was the fact that um, um, God's word is not powerful. Now listen, I, I, there are some of you among us that are living there. You, you, know, you know God's word, but your circumstances haven't changed. Am I, am I speaking to somebody? Your circumstance, even though God's word, I am, I still kind of, I'm stuck in, in the same grind and the same sludge that just seems to be, I, I, I don't know if God's word is powerful. Is there a witness in here to that? Yeah. Yeah. People of God, you who are stuck, if you realize See, our problem horizontally is the fact that we thought our life began at birth, conception. We thought our life began at conception. It did, your life did not begin at conception, little Cuban. Did not. Your life, your life began when God said, Natasha, before she was born. If we get this, Change us. No, if we get this, I, I get that life is hard, okay? I'm not trying to say pull up and get your boots on. and get. I get that it's hard and it's tiring at times. The Ryan and I came in tired this morning. I can't tell from him. But what I am saying is if you can embrace that before you were born, God spoke life into you. He spoke your name. He cared about you. He thought about you. You can live a life that is not controlled by the culture, is free. You're not getting this. 
How much bondage do we put in by living horizontally? How many, how many things do we keep bound up inside because we're living horizontally? He wants us to, to live vertically, that the Word of God is true and that it, Word spoke over your life before you were even born. And the power of it is, yeah, I, I get that life has not always gone the way you kind of thought it would. Um, wake up. It hasn't for any of us either. That does not mean he's not sovereign. That does not mean he's not called you. Second of all, the second question is about God's justice. Listen to it. 14 through 18, it says that, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, I love this, listen to this line. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he's hardened whom he wants to harden. Now listen to me. This is the second accusation, not only that the Jews have made, but that continued unbelievers down the road have accused God of when it comes to election. And in the fact that, well, I remember a kid said to me once, one of my youth group kids, we were sitting in the car, and, and, uh, and I was talking to him. I said, listen, Doug. I said, you know, you've got to realize that, you know, there's a... There's a reason your parents brought you to church. There's a reason why you've been in my youth group. There's a reason. And he just, um, he was overcome by this hyper uh, election that says that, that, well, if God chooses me, that's his point, so I can go ahead and live my life any way that I want. And, um, and if he chooses choose me, he will. And I said, no, 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 there's a partnership in this. Well, you realize, like the Jewish people, you realize that God has come to you and that he loves you, and that he has a plan and a purpose for you, and that you're not here just to, you know, just to spend time in a chair, but you're here because his spirit is calling you. Respond to it. He walked away from me and said no. And God has been an, a, accused of a hyper-election in which, which, um, Believers are in to some kind of group and unbelievers are on the outside and that's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And it has caused people to rebel and say that God rejects them but they're actually in turn rejecting him. Pharaoh is the greatest example. If you remember, and I, I think again, this goes back uh, to some messages before. Five times during the... Um, the first five, um, yes, plagues. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. My wife says the same thing to me. Glad you're here, Daniel. But for five plagues, it says that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the second five was that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see, a hardened heart, a rejection of God, is not because God has put some barrier to him up. It is, listen to me, somebody needs to hear this day, it is your heart that's rejecting him. 
It is your heart that's rejecting him. Just like Pharaoh did. His presence was there. His presence is here today. If you leave this room and you, you walk out without receiving Jesus Christ, it's your own heart that's rebellion. It's not God's. It's your heart. He brought you here to hear about him. Not to hear some, some guy speaking, but for him to speak to you directly. Is God sovereign? Is he sovereign over all? Can he choose who to have compassion on? It's part of faith. And the fact that you're sitting in the seat and you've experienced the compassion of Jesus Christ in your life is the greatest gift you've ever received. And if you don't respond to it, you're the biggest fool on this earth. See, this is the danger. We live in a world where we're really, really pumping up free will, right? Free will. I've got free will. I can do what I want to do. I, I, you ever get like into some of there's these um, young conservatives like Ben Shapiro and, Shapiro and stuff, and they go to, go to colleges and they talk to, to public colleges. And uh, I love what he says. What he says is this. Basically, I stand up for the truth, but you know what? It's a free world. If you decide to reject the truth, it's up to you. I can't, I can't do that. But don't ask me not to tell you the truth. I love that. Freedom. That's what I'm doing to you today is I'm telling you the truth. But free will is a huge gift that has a responsibility. One is, it's the gift of us leaving him, but he lets you choose. What a great gift. What a great gift. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I asked Sue to marry me, she could have said no. She had the freedom to say that. I didn't have a gun to her head. She's been paying for that free will choice for a lot of years. (laughs) But the great responsibility, people, is this. You have a choice to reject him or to receive him. And you're going to make that choice. That's a huge responsibility. Some of you have been playing with that for a long time. The power of this understanding is that God's justice is revealed through his mercy. I had a time in my life where God God gave me a great picture of that. I used to go to a church called Brookside Christian Reformed Church. I was a little kid. I was ADHD and hyper. After church, I was in the parking lot, and I was playing with some friends. There's another problem that I have is that I think... Somebody said that my father was like a, uh, like a uh, semi-pro baseball player. Well, that sounds kind of cool until you've got rocks in your hand and you're practicing throwing. Well, I was in a parking lot practicing throwing, and a car window got in my way. And, um, and so this was before Sunday school. And so I was, I, 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 my dad found out about it. 
And it was actually one of his friend's cars. That's wonderful. And, um, and so he came up, looked at the window, looked at me, and says, when we get home, you're going to get it. Well, my dad was 6'1". He had 27-acre palms. When he spanked me, sometimes my eyeballs would fall out, and he'd have to put them back in my head. <laughs> Kidding, there was no abuse. He knew where to hit, and it hurt. So I didn't learn anything in Sunday school that day. Not a thing. I was thinking about the torture I was going to get when I got home. So before the car got stopped in the garage, and, um, and as my um, father went by my bedroom door to his bedroom, I said, Dad, I'm ready. Now, I didn't know this for years. But he went in his room and cried. My dad did not cry much. He came back to my room, sat down next to me, and said, Son, I think you've suffered enough. He didn't spank me. It was the justice of God coming through his mercy. So Jeremiah 9, 23 says this, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast of this that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. I delight. The third question was a question about the injustice of God's will. Go with me through 19 through 21. One will say to me then, why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Anybody ask that question? Yeah? 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 Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes, and from some for common use? In horizontal motivation, the Jewish history, many critics have cited that conquering of Canaan was an example of God's will being unjust. In fact, my own father struggled with that. How could he take down a whole nation? But they failed to forget that in Genesis 15, um, four books before Judges, or Joshua, that, um, that God had said to Abraham, your descendants are going to, they're going to be in this land for right now, but they're going to go to a land and they're going to stay there for 400 years and they're going to be in slavery. And during that time, the sin of the Canaanites will grow to its final length, its final depth. God gave the Canaanites 400 years to respond to his will. He never left them. He loved them. How long has God been patient with you? The Bible says this, that the day of the Lord is like uh, a, a thousand years is like a day, and, and, and a day is like a thousand years. And in answering the scoffer's question about his return, it says that God is not slow in returning, but he is patient. He desires that none be lost, but that all come to repentance. 
Do you feel the patience of God on your life right now? Do you feel the fact that he has been wooing you to him in the desert for years? And have you responded? Because he hasn't come yet because the last, the last Gentile has not yet entered heaven. And guess who you are? Gentiles. Maybe. Maybe I have a Jewish people here. I don't know. But that's, God is patient. See, vertical motivation understands that all of us deserve condemnation because of our sinful nature. But in God's sovereign will, he's opened the door of salvation for all, knowing full well that many would choose to reject him. John 6.37 says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. The mystery of election is filled with the mercy of God. That should drive away every one of us, but has chosen to open the door of salvation to us. And he's the first cause of why we come to him. Now, this is so interesting because Paul takes these three things. He takes the word, the justice, and in and, and his will, and he pushes it into 22 through uh, 29. He says, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath, prepared for the destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? Anybody here glad about that? Anybody glad that he called the Gentiles? As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And... In Hosea also, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cried out concerning, um, first from Genesis 22, Through the num though the number of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out, Isaiah says, his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Israel had said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Why does God allow sin in the world? There are two reasons. First of all, because His glory is revealed and displayed in His wrath as much as in grace. As sin increases in the world, so God's wrath is revealed in the world. It is the darkness of sin that reveals the truth of God's glory. Epstein did not hang himself because he believed that living a life doing everything you want to do was the right way. He hung himself because God's wrath revealed his sin, and instead, just like, just like Judas, who hung himself, so those who are rebellious against God chooses death and depart, departing, being departed from God over God's grace and mercy. But not Peter. Peter's saddened by his denial of Christ. 
cried, and came back. So that's the first reason, is because his glory is displayed in his wrath. And then the second reason is because his grace is displayed in sin. I can tell the person who has embraced the depth of their sin by their passion for their Jesus. If you've been forgiven much, you will love much. If you've been forgiven little, you'll love little. It is, it is the passion that's driven by the depth of where you knew you came from. It is the person that at one time believed, and I know that some of you might even be in this room, and maybe even today, that my sin is too deep. It's too far. I'm too far gone. God can't save me. But when they come to the place of realizing God called them before, that his justice was at the cross, his justice and mercy came together at the cross and their life has been changed because they weren't too far from him that they are on fire for him. Idiot, listen to me. Your re reservation of outward passion and worship of Jesus Christ comes A, either from the fact you're still protecting your life. You think that you have something to protect. you got a reputation. Or you don't realize the depth of where he brought you from. Because there's, if, if you notice in these verses, there are two words. Uh, there's prepared twice, right? That you see in, um, in verse 22, it says that, um, bore with great patience the object of his wrath, prepared for destruction. And then the second one is in 22, the objects of mer his mercy prepared in advance for glory. It's interesting, in the original language, the, the two words are written differently. The first prepared is, is passive, meaning, listen to me, God did not prepare you for destruction. I had a year-long discussion with a guy who's now traveling around in a trailer, he used to go here. Played drums for us about this subject because he kept saying it's unfair. There are people prepared for destruction by God. No, they're not. What prepares them for destruction? Somebody say it. Our, yeah, our rejection, our hearted, our, yes, that's what prepares us. You're rebellious against God. If you see it, it's because the Spirit is showing you. you. You do realize Epstein never saw it, right? All the, all, the, uh, all the stuff that happened on that island. He never saw it. Why? Because his rebellion showed that he was prepared for destruction. But the second one is active. Listen to me, the second one is active. Why is that true? 
I'm a missionary here. I could ask you that question. I know you know the answer. Why is that true? Because nobody comes to faith on their own. Everybody's faith comes through Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Everybody's faith comes through Jesus Christ. It is a gift from God, not by your works. Don't hear me calling out some works. All I'm crying to for you right now is for your heart to receive the fact that Jesus Christ prepared the way for you for salvation. It's active. God did it all. All to him I owe. Do you really? No, do you really? Religious people don't. Religious people give God just the right portion because you know what, quite honestly, I got other things to do. I'm sorry, but it's true. And I've seen so much of it. And I think that is why. That is why people are not all into worship. Because, because they really don't realize the extent in the darkness that Jesus Christ has pulled them out of and that he's prepared them for this from before. Not because of anything you do, not because you were a good person, but because of his great mercy. Man, that gets somebody excited. I hope. Been reading a book given to me by a friend called um, uh, Gay Girl, Good God. It's a book about Jackie Hill Perry who lived under the, uh, under the rejection of her father and was searching for love in all the wrong places. In the midst of her rebellion against God, his powerful word never left her. And one night, she lay in bed in, her, in the world that she was, and God spoke to her heart and said, this is not what I have for you. This is not what I have for you. And it began to move he was wooing Jackie to himself, and he told her of his great love for her. I'm not done with the book yet, but it's interesting. That's exactly what Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of, of whom I am the worst but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That's the whole point of these verses, guys. People who are not called my people are my people. Ones who are not, weren't those that I loved are now called my loved ones. If God had not been faithful, there wouldn't be a remnant and we would have ended up just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Has God prepared you through Jesus Christ for salvation? And have you responded to that? Have you responded to that? Have you stood up and have you said, Jesus, I see what you did. I see the darkness of who I am. And I stand up to proclaim, you are my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. I turn from it and I will follow you. This 
That's what Paul was calling the people of Israel to do. In the midst of this gospel, realize that his presence is with you. Realize that he took the curse for you. Realize that, that, that he has told you the truth and has loved you your whole life and has shown you time and time again and stand up and receive him and receive eternal life. Because it's never going to come as the verses end in this chapter. I did it. It never, it, listen, 30 through the end. Praise Jesus. What then shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, and a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law is, as the way of righteousness have not obtained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. What's the stumbling block? Jesus, he's a stumbling block. He's the stumbling block. As it is written, I, see, I lay Zion, in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. This, I'm done. But listen, people. I want you to know this with all my heart, that Jesus is here today. That God understands where your heart is at. He understands. He understands you're struggling with. He understands the depth of your sin. Listen to me. He understands. And he says, I'm telling you the truth. This is the truth. You can stand on it. The gospel. I have put myself in your life for a reason because I love you. I have built uh, somebody yeah, this is the other thing. I, you know, how many of you were brought to church by your grandparents? Anybody? Yes, yes. I built a, a a ceremonial structure in your life through your grandma so that you could see me. These are all things I've done so that you could see that it's me, me in your life. Stop trying to protect your life. Stop trying to to make it happen. Stop trying to live safely. This is not a safe life. Life does not end the way that, or work out the way that we had hoped it would. Yes, but Jesus does. And in him, even when it doesn't work out, it still works out for all eternity. Will you live horizontally? Letting Letting the depression of the things that aren't working out the way that you think they should continue to invade your heart or where you live vertically. No matter what happens, Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. From this time on, I'm yours. All in, all passionate, out for you. Because quite honestly, we have a world that's waiting for that. There's a world waiting for that. They want to see True followers of Jesus Christ living it out with all their heart. Is that you? Is that me? Amen. Stand with me as we pray. As we go into prayer, um, John Piper said these words that Jackie shared. I just want to share them with you. So the ultimate aim of the gospel is the display of God's glory.
in the removal of every obstacle to our seeing it and savoring it as our highest treasure. Behold your God is the most gracious command and the best gift of the gospel. If we do not see him and savor him as our greatest fortune, we have not obeyed or believed the gospel. Is he your and my greatest treasure? That's living vertically. Heavenly Father, we just come and we thank you for precious time in your word. Lord, a chapter of the Bible that is powerful because it was spoken to a people that were living in rejection and rebellion of God and turning around and saying he was rejecting them. But it was a lie. You haven't rejected the Israelites. You haven't replaced the Israelites. They are still your chosen people today. And they will, there will be a revival that I wonder if we'll be able to watch in our lifetime in miraculous ways because you still love your chosen people. Thank you for including each and every one of us Gentiles into um, the gospel. Um, you are amazing and thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for Paul's reflecting of your love for us and for your heart for us. And thank you, Lord, that we get this privilege and honor to read this word and to respond to it. Father, I pray that within the sound of my voice, if there is someone who knows, they have, they've been living more horizontal than vertical. They've been living more out of the selfishness of their own life instead of the selfless life in Jesus Christ. I pray that even today, that they will repent and return. That, Father, their heart will be lit on fire by the fact you haven't rejected them. And that they see that they've come from such a darkness and they see a wonderful light. Father, I pray that for each and every person, the sound of my voice. You love this neighborhood. You love the people that are around this community. And I know you desire others to come to know you. It's going to be, compa it's going to be passionate, compassionate people that are going to go out like the Apostle Paul did into the offense of the world and the culture to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for a raising up of your people, a raising up of those that will share. We love you. Thank you for your word that's true. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.